Good morning. Well, most of you know I am Arthur Shepherd, an elder here, but I want to tell you, uh, I'm so glad that there's joy in the house of the Lord today. Based on that strong and measureless love of God uh, who brings us the hope for the ages. Uh, title of my message today is Hope for the Ages, found in 1 Peter. This is not a hope that I hope it snows or that I hope this is a good sermon you have here today. Nothing like that. It's far more than that. It's a, a living hope. It's a hope that never fails, never ends, and will build you up when you're head on with doubts, trials, suffering, health, anxiety, and fears. That's outside or inside of your life. But yet in this living hope, I want you to know, I want to start here strong, is that did you know that in 2022, 67 million people died in our world? 3.5 in the U.S. But the reality is, as we're moving to this living hope, that everyone, though, is going to live eternally, either in the presence of God or separated from God for all eternity. A living hope is the hope for the ages. It's needed around the world. It's needed right here in the church, in our community, and in the U.S. And we're going to find this hope in the next 10 weeks in 1 Peter. Together, together, you and I and the rest of the elders will investigate this and see where hope comes in, how it changes our life, how it affects us and impacts us and impacts our world and our church. And as you know, the Apostle Peter, you know, he's the writer of this book, him and the inspired inspiration of God Almighty. He bases this living hope on the resurrected Christ. You probably knew that too, who's coming again and in the end will culminate in a world that is free from the presence of sin. No more anxiety or fear. So what I want to do before I get into the focus, the feature verses of 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, which I'm going to go over today, I want to introduce you to Peter's character before the resurrected Christ and following the resurrected Christ. See, he was the leader of the apostles. You know that. He was something else. He was always in Scripture. He's always in Scripture named first when we're naming the disciples, the apostles. But yet on the night that Jesus was portrayed, Peter denied him. He was the front man, but the pressure came. When one of the servant girls in the high priest's court suggested that Peter had been with Jesus, he turned and says, I don't even know who he is. What are you talking about? Yet, six weeks later, following Jesus' resurrection, while in Jerusalem, he had a different message, a 180. Earlier, he was hopeless. The disciples, they felt discarded, discarded as the Romans were manhandled their Jesus, the son of the living God. The hopes had collapsed before their eyes. Their dreams faltered. The future looked bleak without a doubt. And certainly, what was happening to Jesus, they didn't want to happen to them. Understandable, right? But now it's a resurrected Christ. And you can read in the book of Acts, here's what Peter says. God has raised this Jesus to life 
and we are all our witnesses of it. You're a very witness today in your heart, in your mind, and in your home that Jesus is alive, correct? He's resurrected. And then everything changed in the hearts and minds of these disciples too. It was based on a living hope, a hope for the ages, a resurrected hope. No longer hiding out, no longer demure, thinking of the worst, but they said we're all in for Christ, even when under immense pressure, pressure from the outside. This living hope today, this hope for the ages, man, that's, I, I, I want to be an encouragement to you more than anything. And I certainly understand, and I don't want to downplay where anybody's living right now and what you're going through. Because Arthur likes comfort as much as anybody. He likes it all right. He likes things stacking up. He likes order. But it doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't, even, it doesn't happen that way for me. So why did Peter write this book? Why did he send this letter? What was going on that he thought that he had had to do this? Well, the Christians, these new Christians in exile, they were suffering immensely under the Roman Empire. The Emperor Nero, he was, he was a savage. He was vicious. Uh, he used them as a scapegoat. They, they, the Romans were turning on Nero, but he said, oh, wait a minute. I'm going to have to find an excuse here, a scapegoat, find them somebody to go after instead. And he laid a, Jesus out for them, and they violently turned on him. So now, though that Jesus is alive, let's catch up. He, he, he reflects on his past failure. It's, now that he's resurrected, he thinks of, oh, my Lord, how did I do that? How did I do that? Then he's a first-hand witness to this persecution, and now he has empathy for all those that suffer. How are they going through this? How are they going through? Some of them, Nero had them as burned alive as candles for some of his parties. That's persecution. And they needed building up. Those, those new Christians needed to be building up because their world was collapsing on them just like Peter thought his was. I thought Christianity, they were probably thinking, is supposed to be the good news. It was supposed to bring something to change, a change, a positive change. And everything that we thought is not happening. And it's even worse. See, he knew that these fears and issues, just like us, will make what? Uh, It'll lead us to anxiety, to hopelessness, to place where we're just not ourselves, where we, where we just... We're doubtful. We, we, we want to know, and sometimes we question the Lord. Things aren't adding up. What's going on? We come on a Sunday, but then Monday comes. He wanted to encourage these believing Jews in exile. And today, that's what I hope in the next 10 weeks. Is this is, as Courtney said, the book of hope. To encourage you. So that where you are today, you're in a good place today. But a month from now, eight weeks, 10 weeks when we conclude, you're in a far better place. Because then your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. So I want to encourage you today. Strengthen your faith so that you are something else for the Lord's sake. Because every one of you out there has it in you. You know that, don't you? 
You have it with your talent, your strength, and your acumen, but far more than that, you have it inside of you because that's where the Holy Spirit lives. He's in there for you, for your sake. So here, I want to turn to these verses too. Why did Peter write this letter? Let's go here. 1 Peter 3, 13, 16. He says in his letter, he says, who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. I read that over and over. I didn't quite get that. (laughs) Really? Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And I know most of you here today have. But if you haven't, today's the day. Today's the day to set it up in your life that Christ is Lord of your life. And when I finish today, you'll know why. Why it's so important. Then he says here for the Christian, listen to me. Always, not only is it to encourage you and build you up and set you apart, but you have a purpose here. You know that, don't you? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to do that, Christian. That's your mission. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Then he goes to 1 Peter 5, 12. Here's his main, here's his thesis statement for writing this letter. He says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Peter writing to encourage. This series should encourage you based on this living hope, this hope for the ages, a hope that never fails. It's robust. It's robust. It's eternal. It takes you from being a minimalist for the Lord into something that's courageous forever. In Acts 16, 7, it says the apostles, once the resurrected, they were no longer demure. They turned the world upside down. You can too, right where you are. Start by turning your house upside down. And I mean that. Make it anew, fresh. A mission that this home is for the Lord's sake. Then your church, your community, and your world. There's young people all over this world that have no idea what they're missing with the love of God. Who's going to tell them? I want to encourage you to do that. But now let's go to our scripture passage for the day. I'm going to go 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, but how I'm going to do that, I'm going to do them in blocks. And then we're going to go that and we're going to move on and get there. Now I'm going to have about four things I want to tell you or share with you as God laid it on me. And then we're going to come to something in the end that I want to have a strong question and comment for you. Is that fair? All right. So you're with me, in other words. Huh. And if you be with me, no. (laughs) Praise 
Praise be to the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's offering a great praise. Peter was there. He was in the trenches. He knows what's happened, doesn't he? He didn't see a resurrected Christ, did he? But he does now. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation is to be ready to be revealed in the last time. How rich are those words? Living hope, great mercy, new birth, inheritance, hope in what we do not see, coming of our salvation. God has offered a great mercy. Can I, can I just ask, you don't have to say anything or even raise a hand, but can I just ask, did God show you mercy? I can't even describe the mercy he showed me. He, he saw me faltering and failing. He did. And he said, I'm going to have mercy on him. But you know, sometimes we interchange the word mercy with grace, don't we? That's not a bad thing. They're probably on the opposite sides of a coin, of the same coin. You can share them, but really, mercy brings relief. Grace brings blessing. Mercy reaches out, not silent or passive. The Good Samaritan, remember, he showed mercy. It's an action. God showed mercy on us at the cross, yet grace comes to those who believe. He has a place for those that believe. He has a relationship for those that believe. Then he talks about here the inheritance that never spoils or fades. You know, a couple of weeks ago, when I was up here talking about Joshua, that was New Year's Eve. There was an inheritance then, an earthly inheritance, the promised land, Canaan. But you know, after they got to that promised land, they were attacked many times. Then Jerusalem has been attacked well over 19 times. Our inheritance under God the Father will never, ever be under attack. Peace. There will be peace in the valley forever. Then he talked about salvation that continues our relationship with God, shielded by God's power. You know you can't lose your salvation, correct? You know your doubts might say you can. I'm not living up to where I am. But you call on God for mercy. You don't lose your salvation. You get in a stronger relationship with him. Here's what John 8, 39 and 40 said. And this is the will of him who has sent me, that I shall lose none of all those who have, he has given me, but I raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to Jesus and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Come on now. Mercy, grace, inheritance that never spoils or fades, uh, salvation that, in, that continues our relationship with God. Shielded by his power. Isn't that enough to keep us joyful in our struggles? Sure it is. But there's a part of us that doesn't feel that way. Especially when we feel, what, left out? Nothing's going right. Have you ever lived on that street that nothing is going right street? (laughs) I heard some of you talking about it this morning walking in. What are you saying? (laughs) 
Our health fails. Marriage is fissured. Children aren't responding like you want. And then you just think that is, and then you're looking before you go and um, something's laying around the house. There's a reminder of something else. Adjust it the way you want it. But here, Peter implores us and encourages us. Don't go for the best life now plan. Go for God's plan. Go for the one that he says, be patient. Be patient. The best is yet to come. Because if you go for the best life now plan, when life comes an end, you'll be discouraged and at worst, separated from God. What does it profit someone to have the best life now but yet lose their own soul? What will you give in exchange for your soul? move ahead. Verses 6 and 7, Peter says and writes, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter knew they were, right? He called it. And I think that inspired, and God, his hand on the pen has inspired this to say to all of us, we're going to go through it, right? It's not our choice. It's it's, it's not something we put a badge of courage on us about, but it's life. It's reality. He said, these trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, trials come for the believer and non-believer. You know that, right? Matter of fact, when you hear about a trial on the news, you don't know if they're a believer or not, right? You don't. It isn't like that we're supposed to feel sorry for ourselves because, oh, look what happens to a believer. Because the Bible says he causes the rain to shine on the good and the bad. And he sends the sunshine on the evil and and the good. See, God loves the world. He's he's taken his time with those that you might think that are outside of his scope. But he's not shutting it down. He desires that all men and women are saved and young people. He's being patient. He's being patient. God so loved the world. All of us. All of them. And we should too. And here's what I want to tell you. He desires us to even love our enemies. And see, that could be distressing. That can be imperfect. Matter of fact, that can be something that puts guilt on us or makes it hard for us to move is anything that we do. Because some of you are well off. Most of you are, at least by my standard. See, he desires us for to love our enemies. That will ease a lot of pressure off. Not holding them in unrelenting contempt Offer them God's grace and mercy. And I'll be honest with you. If you love your enemies and take the focus off of who they are, what you don't agree with, it'll be the great evidence of the genuineness of your faith. God will give you the strength to do that. On your own, you can't. I'll admit that. I've tried. But without the Holy power of the Holy Spirit, There's many that I couldn't love. Can I say that? 
But because of God's grace, his mercy, his salvation that's waiting, his inheritance and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can love people if we'll let ourselves. And that will reveal the genuineness of your faith. Let's move on. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an expressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter's getting down to it. Salvation is over top of everything. Romans 8.24 tells us this, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Because God has a plan for you right now. Each one of you. He has a ministry for each one of you. He has a purpose far than you want to... Uh, uh, than you can imagine, if you'll let him. Best is yet to come, church. You know that. You know that it's eternal, it's without end, it's hope for the ages, and it's a hope that is real. You'll say, well, you're going to tell me something I don't already know? Well, I am here in a minute. Give me a minute. Give me a minute. Then I found this uh, very intriguing. Maybe over and over. Say, what, what do you make of it? Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. They were revealing this future Messiah, the one that was going to bring about salvation, that was going to have to suffer himself so that we could live. Trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ and them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of things that have not been told to you by those who have preached the gospel, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. See, the gospel of hope, the hope of the ages, is way beyond our complete understanding, isn't it? And it's so good that the angels decide, desire to look into it. How would man have thought in eternity past thousands, millennials before we were ever born that God had chose you to call out, to save you? Unimaginable, unthinkable. Then how would you have thought that there'd be a perfect sacrifice by the God-man stepping down on earth, the perfect sacrifice to take your sins on, your sin debt on so that you could be saved? Who, who could have came up with that except for the creator God? And then by trusting him, you have eternal life, a living hope. 
or that you can put away 70 or 80 years and sometimes even 100 years of suffering for an eternity where anxiety never knocks at the door. That's the exchange. And then if we don't look at our struggles no more, but look at what God's done for us and the power that he's given us and the ministry opportunity he has for us, we can strive to be something far better than we ever thought we could do when we were in middle school or high school or anywhere else. When we were fragmented, weren't thinking straight, or where we had made some mistakes in our life and in our marriage, or wherever it was. But God doesn't look at the past. He looks to the future, and he looks to the future in you. You have a, you have a, if you just, if we would just register it and think about it and grasp it, the hope that sets before every believer, it'd be phenomenal. He'd rally the country, he'd rather the world, he'd rather, he'd rally uh, Waldorf, he'd rally us. Living hope, hope for the ages. But here I, here I want to do, just... I want to ask a question, and a com- and, but my question is also going to come with a comment. Permissible? Trials and suffering. I think we hear that a lot in our home groups, our Bible studies, from the pulpit, television, wherever you are, the radio, we hear about that. But the reality is men and women do not like to suffer. Sometimes we've heard it said that we pray ourselves out of suffering more than we pray for the lost. Let me ask you a question. Trials and suffering, which would you rather have it, with God or without God? Which do you want? So you know many, many discard God because they say, how can a loving God allow trials and suffering, correct? But for a brief second, just in your mind, work with me here. Let's take away, let's, let's remove God from our, our earth, our universe, our, our realm. Trials and suffering are still coming, aren't they? We're still humanity, aren't we? We don't get it right a lot of times, right? And certainly the other guys definitely, no, I, didn't. <laughs> I didn't say that. We don't get it right. Our universe, our our world, our earth, it's cracked and fissured. Without God, we're a trial. Trials are are coming. Disappointments are coming. Life comes at us because of some of the things we do. Sometimes it comes at us because of others. But yet, we do have a God. God. Matter of fact, let me, let me continue. I almost think it's silly to think that an argument would be because if we don't have a loving God, we're going to discard him because I know in the end, by being creator God, that even though we suffer now, what he has in store for us. If you're saying that you don't want God because things go on and it's, going to, and it's imminent, going to happen anyway, and then, but yet you don't want his purpose and his will and his and his living hope and his eternity and, and heaven and his almighty God presence. But that's where we have it. That's a choice to be made. 
Some of you right in here, I think, probably have to make that choice. Because you're in a life where you just, it, 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 just doesn't, it just doesn't move forward. But see, the reality is, is why? Let me, let me think, and the Bible tells us this. In the end, we're willing to give it all up because we just want to do it our way. It's, not, it's, it's, it's that simple. We don't want a God over us or anything else. We'll do it our way. We'll be moral and we'll have a good life because we, we prosper. We do well. Or others, whatever. We just don't want to do it his way. We don't know why any day tell. But I can't imagine suffering in trials without a hope of a new heaven and a new earth where trials and suffering don't knock on the door, where there's no rumors of wars, where that where that you've escaped the wrath of God, and there's peace in the valley forever. Amen. Yes. And then on top of this, God, this living God, He restrains evil. Do you realize, knowing who we are, that how much worse it could be if God's hand wasn't on the universe? He restrains evil. He brings about a, a, a glorious hope, brings salvation, forgiveness of sins, free from the uh, a presence of sin. And he just calls on each person here to make that choice. And if you're already a believer and you've made that choice, he says, now knowing what you have, I need you to make another choice. Live a life of gratitude. Grateful. Grateful to God Almighty. Giving your very life for him. And always and in every way that you can. Can you do that? Stand with me. Each of you. Peter describes it clearly. That there's a living hope. A hope for the ages. A hope that sets us apart. Gives us life. Gives us joy, peace. Not only now, but in the life to come. You heard your option. Your option without God doesn't cut it. Don't neglect that. Don't neglect what you heard from the Apostle Peter. If our prayer team can come forward, and then I want to remind you in a few more minutes that we're going to have a family meeting here, but I also want to pray us out, thanking God for what he's done for us, for what he's done for Arthur Shepherd, what he's done for his wife, Linda, how he's built us up in the church that we never thought we could be blessed. But how I thank God for you at Grace Church Waldorf and the ministries that are ahead of you. There's great hope in this place. There's great hope in this place. Pray with me. Father, for all we have in Christ, the one that is our living hope, that brings about resurrection, peace, a new heaven, a new earth, joy even amidst our struggles, that allows us in our struggles to show, reflect the genuineness of our faith, that allows us to be in the battle, in the, uh, uh, in the kingdom battle, that lives on the inside, that convicts us, strengthens us, and empowers us. We give you thanks. Now may it be reflected in all that we do and say. May the struggles now be pushed to the back and our joy pushed to the front. May Christ Jesus be seen in each one of us more brighter than ever before, dropping everything that besets us and moves us away from that. And today be a brand new day because of you. And Father, I pray this in the strong name of Jesus, the one that has the power to save that went to the cross to deliver us. It's his name we pray this. Amen.